Hi and welcome to episode four of the Full English with me, Pam McLaughlin. These podcasts are part of our ongoing support for teachers. If you'd like to contact me with ideas for guests or any other teaching related comments, please send an email to thefullenglish at pearson.com. Now my guest today is Mark Roberts. Mark is an assistant head teacher in a secondary school in Devon. As well as being an English teacher, Mark is also a writer. He's written articles for the Times Educational Supplement and his new book, You Can't Revise for GCSE English, Yes You Can, was out in the summer and he also co-wrote the much acclaimed Boys Don't Try, Rethinking Masculinity in Schools. So you can see this podcast isn't just for English teachers as we cover revision techniques which are applicable for most subjects. So let your colleagues know as there are lots of tips and strategies to help students in making their revision really effective. We also discuss traditional approaches for engaging boys and how these are actually misguided and can be damaging. So hopefully that's left you feeling intrigued. So listen on to find out more. Hi, Mark. It's really great to have you as a guest on this episode. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Pam. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm very much looking forward to it. Good. Me too. Now, I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about with schools and the new term and your books. But first, can you, as we usually do now with these, uh, with this podcast, can you share with the listeners a memory from your own school days? Anyone who's um, heard me talk about my secondary school days or seen any, anything that I've written about them will know that I, I wasn't um, an ideal pupil to teach at all. And <laughs> I, was, I was thinking um, back to my uh, last maths teacher when I was in uh, year 11 and I, I was able in maths, but I'd, I'd spent a lot of my time trying to disrupt lessons and, and messing around a bit. So I, I was given the strictest teacher in the school and she really did not take to me at all. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, Miss, Mrs. White. And uh, she, she used to have me right under her nose in front of her. Um, and she, she had some peculiar habits. I remember that she uh, used to have a cup of soup for her lunch and then she'd <laughs> she'd have a cup of tea for her, the, the final lesson of the day. But she didn't rinse them out in between. So you'd see bits of uh, carrots floating around <laughs> in a tea. And things like that. But I do remember one one particular time she'd been chasing me for, for a couple of weeks for my GCSE maths coursework. That tells you how long ago it is. Yeah. Coursework in maths. Um, and she'd been chasing me for ages and she collared me one, one morning just outside assembly with my form tutor, who was also a maths teacher. And she was saying, you know, I'm, I'm sick of your excuses and I, I want it now. And I can remember saying, no, actually, I, f- I feel really sick. I, I, I can't really speak at the minute. I, I need to head off to the toilet. And she was like, you know, it's just one excuse after another of using it. Um, and at that point, I was sick, sick all over her shoes. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh. So that so that was something that, that yeah, that very much uh, sticks out as one of those kind of cringeworthy, but quite funny uh, memories of, yeah. uh, of me trying to get out of doing stuff. And actually, in that instance, you were telling the truth. And so what was it like after that then with her? Did she apologise after you threw up on her shoes? Or No, it was it was frostier than ever, to be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. Perhaps I hope they weren't suede shoes because that would have been yeah, a nightmare. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't pleasant now, but oh, I didn't dear. do it. I definitely didn't do it on purpose. I must point that out. Yeah. OK, good. So if she ever gets to listen to this and, you know, we've clarified that so she can uh, feel suitably guilty for not treating you very nicely. And I, and okay, I, can, and I can apologise for not treating her very nicely as well. There we go. That's it. Oh, that's lovely. The caring is going mutual. So that's good. Anyway, so 
we're almost at the start of September as we record this podcast and I imagine it must be very strange in these extraordinary times preparing for this new academic year. So what's it been like for you in your role as a, an assistant head teacher in a secondary school? Well, like most uh, senior leaders and, and like most teachers, I suppose, um, I've, I've been in quite a lot during the, the lockdown period, um, you know, looking after the, the key workers um, and vulnerables and so on. Um, so I've been doing all the kind of preparation stuff, hands on knees, sticking tape on the floor and, and oh, measuring yes. out things, yeah, with my two metre measuring stick. Yeah, and, I've seen quite a lot of people doing that on the news. They keep showing that. So is that what it is? Yeah. Everyone's got the same yellow and black tape sort of thing? Or... Yeah, all, oh, all that dear. kind of stuff. And, and uh, we've been writing plans that we've then had to rewrite, uh, you know, the next day and then we've had to rewrite it again the next day. And then we start writing plans because we thought we'll just wait and see what happens at the last minute when they do yet another U-turn and, and all it, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's, so as an SLT, have you been able to, do you actually get together for these meetings or is it all on Zoom and teams and that sort of thing yeah even when we were in school we we did it on on zoom or teams um, just just to be sensible and then as we got close closer to going back we've been meeting but in a large meeting room and we're all kind of spread out Um, oh yeah that's what I was wondering Yeah. yeah it's just just kind of finding new ways of doing things really yeah it's very strange isn't it the whole thing but anyway it is what it is and we are at the moment Mm. where we are with people are all going back in next week as it were or the week after so um from my point of view what I wanted to talk about with you first was your new book so when I saw the title you can't revise for English yes you can I tell you what I had to laugh as it brought back (laughs) memories from when I was teaching and trying to explain to my students how you definitely could and should revise for English quite often it'd be miss you can't revise for English and so I used to get a lot of that depending on the class or depending on the you know the way the wind was blowing or how close we were to the exams and of course I would show them how you could do it but they struggled with or sometimes depending on the people the individual didn't want Mm -hmm. to revise so I was really pleased when I saw that someone had written a book (laughs) that actually gives you the definitive response that yes you can indeed revise for English and actually there it is in in print well black and white or with some colours interspersed Um, and it's got great practical ideas to demonstrate to students how they can revise so how did you (laughs) how did the book come about? Well, I went through a similar kind of series of frustrations as oh, you, yeah. you just uh, explained there. So I, I'd heard it so many times over <laughs> the you know, 11, 12 years I've been teaching. And That's much. it. Um, and it was very much a case of, I, I, I did bits like you, you mentioned yourself, where I, I'd model things during class. Uh, and then over time, I just found that the more I modeled, the more I broke it down, and the more I, I, I took away any kind of preconceptions I had about what they did know and what they didn't know. And just went back to the real basics of, of, of a real step-by-step a- approach. And to begin with, I was worried that it would be patronizing to my classes. But even yeah. the, the, the very able students got something out of, of this kind of um, demystifying the process. And I suppose we, we, we make assumptions as teachers mm. that, that, that students are either just being lazy if they're not revising or, or the kind of, you know, not wanting to do as much or, or kind of making excuses. But actually, I think a lot of it is we... As, as experts don't really yeah. um, appreciate the process that we've gone through and then we tend not to pass it on as much uh, I'm generalizing of course some teachers no no I think really, you're right really and I well. think yeah. yeah exactly I think also for us as English teachers it was a case of 
they could they had a, something more tangible if you're revising for maths for example but yeah. with English it was a bit vaguer wasn't it it was a bit more vague in that respect and I think that was what it, that's what the challenge is and as you say trying to explain that or trying to you know like model it exactly what it is you've got to do I think that really helps so they probably do appreciate it so sorry go on I interrupted yeah. you you were saying no no I, I, it's, it's very much the key with, with that it is breaking down every single part of the process and it's a book about uh, re revising for English but actually I, th I think certain parts of it are applicable to all subjects I was thinking that uh, when I went through it yeah. yeah I thought that because you're right with, with if you say to a student um you know how do you revise for GCSE maths or science those things where it seems to be a lot more straightforward in terms of revision they're still using all those bad habits like um highlighting uh rereading uh and, and summarizing and so on and not doing it in a way that's giving them the best possible opportunity to to memorize that those those knowledge and skills that they're going to need so this has got a specific English lens but I think it's taking what we know about cognitive science and psychology and and how humans learn most effectively and it, it's applying it to one particular subject um, that I think is a subject that they often have this misconception about that it's just something where all you can really do is reread the book or things like that and actually there's a lot more that you can do and I think a key aspect of, of the whole book that, that ties it all together really is this idea about being pre-prepared being prepared for what you're going to write before you go into the exam yeah uh, which, which is something that a lot of English teachers um, are a bit funny about they see it as, as kind of a shortcut or it's not one for the purists but I think actually it really does give them these really embedded um, deep knowledge of of the text and, and of analytical writing and of creative writing even mm. so I think it's something it's not quite modern, actually it gets them to look at the text in a in a way where there, there's a deeper insight by doing it this way yeah now the first thing you mentioned there was the highlighters do you want to just expand a little bit on that about highlighters because that was interesting when I read that in your book about you know highlighters aren't the be all and end all which is what a lot of people seem to think they're the you know they're this great thing you can use as a tool but it's yeah, not that it's, good it's, really. It's quite a well-known study from 2013 by Don Losky et al where they look at some really popular revision strategies um, and they, they see which ones are effective, which ones are, are med of medium effectiveness and which ones are, are of low effectiveness. Um, and, and they really do pick out highlighting and rereading as, as being two that students really feel comfortable doing, but the results of them are, are really not worth the, the mm. amount of effort that they put into them. So, so most students, when they're highlighting, they're just they're either highlighting too much text or not enough text, often yeah. there's too much text. Um, and what and are they, they actually going to do with it after that? That's the thing. Absolutely. What's they, the they point get, of it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it gives this illusion of fluency where it's, it's really easy to highlight stuff and pick stuff out. They're not very good at picking out key information. Yeah. And they're, they're not very good when they go back and think, well, why did I highlight all that text? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a helpful revision strategy, uh, but it's so popular. Yeah. And then the other thing that I thought was, you know, is another really good aspect of it that I must admit, I didn't do it myself when I was teaching. Yeah. You know, I mean, I finished teaching 18 months ago, I think it is. So prior to that for 14 years or whatever it was, I hadn't really ever used the Cornell notes that you mentioned. And I think they are really and really useful. In fact, I know when I've done webinars since Easter, we've had a weekly webinar for mm. teachers. And in that webinar, um, our, our, the person who was the presenter talked about Cornell notes and people were saying how great they found them. So yeah. for those who are listening that haven't, you know, yet found the Cornell notes, as it were, would you just like to sort of explain a bit about those? 
Yeah, I mean, you, you can buy kind of fancy notepads that have got these these systems already in, or you can just draw a few lines across a, a, yeah. a, an exercise book or a scrap of paper. But it's just a way of organising your notes that make them useful for going back and revising from. Um, the key bit really is that in, in the left-hand column, the notes which are in the right-hand column, they have to be some kind of statement or question that gets you to link the two together. So rather than going back and just having a, a list of bullet points, you've got questions that go with the bullet points that, that force you to, to consider and, and to think about what it was that you were thinking about at the moment when you were doing it. Mm. And you, then you summarise them at the bottom as well. Um, so it's a way that when you go back to your notes, you can actually revise from them. You can kind of cover one side of it and... and you've got a series of questions that the notes can then answer. So it's a really interesting and, and systematic way of just improving the standard of annotations. Uh, because and, it's, and, sorry, sorry, go on. on. No, you, you carry on, yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. it, often they're used when people are, are you know, listening to a lecture or, or you know, listening to a teacher talk in class yeah. and so on. Um, but one thing that we look at in the book, which is really interesting, I, I, I spoke to an ex-student of mine who's, who's now um, studying English at Cambridge, and she showed how she uses them for, for handouts and for, for doing actual annotation of her reading as well, which takes it on to a whole different level. And, and that, I think, is, is, is quite groundbreaking really yeah um, I mean you mentioned that in your book didn't you yeah. yeah and I think it's a skill isn't it because I remember trying again you know like I was saying about well yeah you can revise also mm. well you can take notes well no I can't and it's especially when someone hits year uh, year 12 or the A levels it's mm -hmm. you know you can't just suddenly expect them to know how to take notes but even doing it this way you can push it back to GCSE or whatever level and I just think it's such a really good skill to have yeah. in terms of you know getting your information in your mind collated as it were on paper and that way then like you say when you go back to revise it yeah yeah, note taking is a lot more difficult than we assume. We, yeah, know, we definitely. We like you say, it's we yeah. we know how to do it as teachers, and it's yeah. that thing about forgetting that actually they haven't got that context and they haven't got that background. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah and I, I think often, particularly when we're teaching, um, we we're not we don't use clarity in our instructions about what we want them to do. Is it a case of copy down everything that I say, copy down everything on the board, yeah. or actually? do I not want you to be taking notes until I say this is important, write this down? And yeah. just those, those cues uh, that we can use can make a big difference. Um, what, one of my favourite sayings is if, if me or sometimes a student will, will phrase something beautifully, I'll just say, okay, right, stop, everyone. Let's say that again. Everyone write that down. That's really good. We can use that in our essays. Uh, just little things like that. It, it's yeah. really saying to them, this is what the purpose of your notes is going to be. Because often... They just see notes as something that you, that's just what you do. That's what students do. They just write yeah. things down. They don't see the point of it. Sort of yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I really think that the, the, the Cornell notes idea is really, really useful. And I think that's a great thing for people to employ, you know, with their students mm. in their classrooms. So, yeah, I think it's really good. Um, other things we talked about in the book was, con oh, sorry, not we, you wrote the book, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Using context successfully. Now, context is, oh, dear. How do you explain how to bring in context sometimes? First of all, you have to teach what context means, as it were, yeah. and then you have to bring it in. And we all know context and the big bolt on, oh, you know, I'll just write a sentence at the end or I'll try and say yeah. a couple of sentences about the Victorian era to show that I know what it is or something like that. And how yeah. did you tackle that in your book? And then what have you found works for that in the classroom? Yeah, I mean, first of all, as you say, you, you have to 
show them what context can mean. It can be quite a big nebulous term that's quite overlapping. But so we look at what the different aspects of social historical context, genre context, and so on can be. Uh, it comes down to relentless modeling, and I, I use quite a few examples in the book. Uh, and I think that's the only way. If, if you tell students you're, you're using too much context, you're not using enough, they find it hard to grasp exactly what you mean. Whereas if you're modeling Agreed, that yeah. in, in your own writing, um, preferably you're doing it live under a visualizer so they can see your thought process yes. of how, you know, am I going to start with the context here or how can I make sure that this quotation fits with the particular context that I'm, I'm referring to. Um, those are the kind of things that they, the more they see you do it and the more they get to, to see the metacognition of you thinking aloud as you're doing it, that's when it really clicks for them. Um, otherwise you, you get really unbalanced essays and the exam boards are very quick to point out that lots of students make that mistakes, including, yeah. at, including at the very top end. This is it, definitely. And I mean, it just reminds me again of, my, of when I was in a classroom and sometimes, you know, the visualizer had been, let's say it wasn't working because someone had decided it, they didn't want it to work anymore at lunchtime yeah. or something. And then yeah. I remember, oh, what am I going to, but you can just type it up on the board and display yeah. it. Your yeah. paragraphs as you're doing it and they can see it. And I used to sit there and say, so what do you think that sounds like then? Should I change that? And then they'd sort of contribute and we'd write it together. And it was much mm -hmm. more successful in that way, wasn't it? Like you say, the actual yeah. thought processes of how to do it. It's definitely massive in terms of them being able to understand and grasp what's needed, isn't it? Absolutely. They, they can't grasp it until they see it in, in action and then get the opportunity to apply your models um, with your guidance and then independently in lots of different circumstances with, with new essay questions and so on. And that's when they really start to gain the confidence to, to be able to hit those, those top criteria. Yeah, and I don't know how much of this really links to the what you've written in your book but I mean I always found myself that actually practice does make perfect and the more you try doing something the better you're going to get at it actually and yeah. so for example you know and the feedback on I mean we had Kat Howard on here for the first episode and she talked about full class um, feedback and all that sort yeah. of whole class sorry and yeah. that was really interesting have you got any strategies at all that you've that you use yourself in the classroom that you could recommend for that for people who are listening or what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think that that's something that's really important, um, the whole idea of whole class feedback. And I know that, that teachers will often do that by, by taking the exercise books, looking through them, picking out the, the common errors uh, and then going back to the next lesson and, and referring to these common errors and doing something about it. And that's great. I try to do it during the class. Yeah. So that, so that while I'm going around, previously what I used to do is I'd, I'd go around with my pen uh, and I'd see four or five of the same errors and I'd keep going around and I'd, I'd annotate on, on their work and I'd say, you know, you need to avoid doing this. This is the better way of doing it. Now, as soon as I see two or three of those errors, I, I just assume that the rest of them are, are probably doing the Good same. Point. We stop teaching and I go straight back to the board and say, if you're doing this, you need to look. Yeah, you know, that's a really stop. good point. Yeah. So that, that, I think that's something that can be applicable in any subject, really. Definitely. Uh, I, think, I think teachers sometimes are too keen to, to keep on circulating. They see it as their job to go around and, and get pupils unstuck. Whereas with whole class feedback, that's the quickest way to get everybody unstuck. And particularly in the, the current climate where we're not going to be encouraging teachers to be mixing as much with students walking around the class and so Yeah, on. that's it. Have they got to stay uh, yeah. at the front of the classroom where the board is? Is that how it's working? I mean, I'm sure different schools are doing it different right, okay. ways. But, yeah. but at, at my place, the, the, the teacher has a bit of a kind of an exclusion zone at the front of the class. Yeah. Uh, and so it really does put a greater emphasis on the teacher 
being able to model teach from the front and right, feedback from yeah. the front um so for me it, well it works perfectly with the way i do it anyway so yes. I'm, I'm, I'm okay like like personally but for some teachers it probably will drag them out of their comfort zone yeah it's way, what you used to yeah, isn't it yeah but in a way it'll probably improve um you know their confidence and some of yes, their feedback and questioning yeah. yeah exactly and talking about that you know you said about other subjects now obviously I'm assuming as you're an assistant head teacher yeah. you have an overview of not just English in a school all the subjects at some point or other so you know do you find that a lot of the revision strategies that are mentioned in your book are applicable for many other subjects and have you seen yeah. them in action? Yeah and, and I, mean, I certainly wouldn't try to claim expertise in, in, in the teaching of certain subjects. No no but, I didn't yeah. Uh, and, and when I go into classes, I'm always very careful to to be aware that, that there's a lot of stuff that I, I can't see going on because of yes. my l- lack of expertise. But I think when it, when it comes down to it, one, one of the key ideas in the book, which I think would apply in any subject, is really reframing the concept of revision itself. Mm-hmm. And I think the language that we use as teachers is absolutely critical here in that a lot of the time we talk about revision as being something that's done at the end of a unit or towards yeah. the end of the course or it's something that's done at home or in after school sessions and, it, and it's usually this idea of going over stuff uh, you know making sure that you've known something that you've done before the thing that I try to get to the heart of in the book is if we change the way that we talk about revision and, and actually reframe it and using language where it's talking about it's something that is an ongoing strategy from the start of the course even better it's something that's ongoing from the start of year seven yeah I was just uh, going to say that yeah. actually from the yeah. start of year seven you get yeah. into those habits then don't you and those skills yeah, yeah. and it's something that is done uh, frequently in shorter bursts so we're we're bringing in uh, interweaving and space learning so we're making sure that we we're, we're not just revisiting the thing that you've done recently or the thing that you've got the exam coming up for you are making sure that you're going back and, and mixing up, looking at different topics so that you use the benefit of, of space practice as well uh, in terms of learning and memory retention. Um, but I think also it's key that we, we think about revision as something that's done during lessons that mm. then helps you to be able to develop it further during your home study. Um, so we're thinking about making links, applying previously learned material to new topics uh, and, and that's something that we can encourage as teachers during class as well as with the homework that we set. So that's probably one of the big takeaways I'd say to teachers of other subjects that are listening. If you're not already doing that, don't fall into the trap of saying things like, uh, you know, as you get closer to your revision in year 11, you'll need to go back and look at this. For me, it's very much the key of saying, no, uh, your ongoing revision and the homework that I'll set you and the, the practice uh, quizzes that we'll do, the retrieval practice that we'll do at the start of each lesson is based around this constant drip feed of making sure you're covering everything and going back and addressing it constantly. Yeah, that's it. And you say about the start of every lesson. I mean, one of the things I used to do, which actually would work quite well in the current situation, is if you've got mini whiteboards and you can yeah. say to everybody, right, and ask them questions and they hold up their boards, you can see who's got it and who hasn't then. And yeah. uh, you don't have to worry about who's standing too close to anybody else either but yeah Absolutely. there's a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot of different ways you can do things isn't there to sort yeah, of make I, sure I think when we go back in September th- those kind of strategies that the, the the quick uh, formative assessment strategies yeah. are, are going to be really important to Key, be able to yeah. work out where where those knowledge gaps are um, so in terms of talking, that then 
sorry yeah. go on I was just going to ask you do you want to just talk about you know where you think when everyone goes back in terms of year 11 or strategies etc for that situation the big return yeah absolutely I mean as I say that those kind of ways of finding out the the knowledge gaps in a really low stakes non-threatening way is going to be absolutely key uh, yeah. I've read I've read of certain schools that are planning mocks on the first couple of weeks yes I, I've heard people saying that and I thought that's just yes. what do you yeah. think to that idea and why is it not a good idea I think it's going to be pretty disastrous really because yeah. it, it, it's it's going to confirm what you largely know is that, that a lot of pupils after that gapping learning or even if they've had um if they've been engaging with learning that, that it's still not the same experience they're still going to be lacking in, in confidence you, you would imagine uh, and, and doing that is just going to I, I think give a massive dent to their because confidence. Because the thing is you wouldn't actually say after people have been away on six weeks summer holidays this is six weeks no. now not six no. months no. you wouldn't Excellent. get them straight in and couple of weeks time we're having a mock or whatever no and that's after six weeks so this has been six months but I mean there is the argument that actually the learning has continued because they've been at home doing it but it's not the same is it and it's, it's not it's not the same no and, and, and a lot's I, happened for a lot of people you know yeah. like a lot of the class you don't know what circumstances they've been oh. through themselves and of course also there's a large majority I believe I don't know if it's the same where you are yeah. who haven't been able to even who might not have engaged with any of the online learning or yeah. not much of it at all Absolutely. And, and whilst it's really important to have high expectations and, and not to kind of go in there expecting that they yeah. won't learn anything, at the same time, I, I think it's really counterproductive to their motivation to go in and start saying things like, uh, you should have done this, uh, it's your own fault. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. yeah. Any kind of blame, I think it's just going to backfire. Um, and pupils who are anxious are not going to perform well in the long run and they're, they're not going to feel reassured and confident by by you kind of berating them or, or pointing out too openly uh, how far behind they are and whilst it's really frustrating as a teacher if you've got pupils who you know are, are capable of doing well and have, have kind of hampered themselves by by not engaging during this break yeah for, for me it's really important to draw a line in the sand and say okay that was an exceptional period from now on i'm expecting this hard work from you in every single lesson. Yes. We've got this amount of time to do, and, and we're going to do really well by by using these strategies and working hard in class. And for me, that that will be a much more um, fruitful approach. Yeah, it's than, like a than, new than start, isn't it? Here's a new yeah. start for us. We're starting afresh here in a way. And if you have, you know, learned things while we've been, that's great. But here we yeah. are now. Everyone's at the same starting point sort of thing yeah I, I tend to have over the last few years uh, and even going back further in my career I, I, I tended to pick up year 11 classes after things have gone wrong um, right yeah I've, either the previous teachers left or, or things have not worked out with the previous teacher in year 10 yeah uh, I've so done that myself I, yeah. a few times yeah I know yeah, what you mean. So, so those those of us who are experienced at doing these kind of rescue jobs uh will, will know that 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 kind of softly softly approach where you you have to work out quite quickly what it is they don't know but then start afresh no kind of recriminations about what's yeah, gone before. get them on side as well yeah get, get yeah. them on side but at the same time make it very clear that they are going to work work hard yeah. if, they, if they're going to do well and, and that for me that's the kind of balance that that is is the right strike the right approach to strike yeah that's a really good point um moving back slightly to the book i mean this does link with the new term and the up upcoming year obviously but I was just thinking one of the things that people struggle with quite often is the whole well I can't remember I've got to learn the quotes I can't remember and I mean I used to try various ways of 
you know, let's try and learn a few quotes. But it's not that straightforward, is it? And so in your book, you mentioned that for the revision technique. And do you want to just talk about a really good example of memorising quotes, how to do that? Yeah, so I think flashcards for me are, are the most effective way of doing it. Um, so that, that's the first thing, and, and lots of people will, will know about that. It's important in the same way we talked about annotations that we are really clear about how to use flashcards precisely. And I spend quite a lot of time in the book going through and showing what an effective flashcard looks like in, yeah. from a point of view. So that's the first thing, and we, we making clear that they understand that they have to uh, allow a period of time before they turn them over and so on and how to order up your flashcards and when to discard them and when to keep them in your pile and things like that so that's something that, that's important one particular technique that's been massively successful and this was something that was pure serendipity where uh, as an assistant head I spend a lot of time going around different classrooms uh, when I'm teaching I mean my own teaching I'm, I'm moving oh, okay. classrooms, which, which lots of um, teachers will probably be doing this year with, with bubbles and so moving on. around yeah, yeah. Coming in off um, off playground duty, which I do every single day as well, I'd, co I'd constantly <laughs> come in and find myself, my computer's not started up, I want to do some kind of retrieval uh, yeah. practice. Uh, and off the top of my head, I just wrote down 10 single words that were taken from some of the English quotes that we've been talking about from different texts. Right. Uh, I just said, okay, I want you to write down the full quote for those 10. And it was just something that came to me in a moment of panic when I thought, I've not got anything to do and I've got 30 uh, year 11, yeah look, as it does as it happens when you're a teacher doesn't it you suddenly have to yeah. wing it yeah go on yeah and then this worked so well it, it worked good. beautifully uh that I started then doing it thematically where I'd, I'd pick out certain um, words that, that had things in common so they might be body parts or they might be things to do with uh, celestial objects and the yeah. sun and the sky and things like this uh, I started picking out certain key words that appeared in several quotes. So right. you'd get, you'd get yeah. one kid say, yeah, that, that's from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And the one say, no, no, it's from the poem. And, and that's got really interesting discussions about how certain key words could then act as a trigger for memorising several quotes. That's really uh, good. Yeah. yeah, I bet they enjoy it as well. I they, bet they find they it fun. Do. Not to begin with, but they do eventually. <laughs> they hate it to begin with. Oh, uh, right, like, okay. like, like most things that are difficult. Yeah. But, but, but by the end, um, they find it really helpful. Um, so that's one thing that's really helped. And then the other thing, I suppose, is, is to save you the trouble of having to memorise so many quotes is to pick out the ones that are what I call the killer quotes. That's that right, kind you of call like, them killer yeah, quotes in your book, like, you? like a Swiss army knife. They, they do yeah. so many jobs and they can answer pretty much any exam question. So if you can get down to narrowing down to identifying those, that's where the real fun starts. And that's where it really can take off the pressure uh, on your memory. Yeah, no, that sounds really good. And that just helps with when you walk into that exam hall, you just have that confidence in yourself and you psychologically, you know, much pre more prepared for it as a, as yeah. a candidate who's going to sit in the exam, isn't it? It's, it's a really good idea, definitely. Particularly if you've then taken those quotations and turned them into paragraphs and adapted them to fit different um, essay question titles, yeah. which, which I give examples of how to do that in the book, uh, that really does give you this confidence of, of saying, well, okay, it's, an, it's kind of an unseen exam in that I don't know what the question is going to be, I don't know what the extract's going to be, but I'm still pretty prepared in yes. my strength and I'm going to then apply my strengths to the question. 
That's it, exactly. Because even if you haven't written lots of, you know, written work about that particular mm. quote or whatever, if you've talked about it and you've made those connections in your brain to yeah. and you can think about how you can use it in an essay. And when you walk in there, yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So what would you say is one of the key things that you could say for advising people about how to embed revision into their classes and into their, you know, as they're going along into their schemes of work or whatever, or into their lessons yeah. even? Yeah, I mean, first of all, when it comes to, to setting homework, you, you're going to be thinking very carefully, what is the purpose of this homework? Yeah. How, is, how is it going to add to their overall revision picture? What are you going to do with it? Uh, is it something that's going to be marked? Uh, if, if you've got a workload like I have, you don't want to yeah. be doing lots of marking. So you've got to think really cleverly about how you're going to get them to develop knowledge from, from this homework that they're going to then be able to test themselves on so that you don't have to mark it. Um, so I think thinking of it as a step-by-step -step process where to begin with, you, you get them to work on flashcards, you get them to develop their, their memory of, of some of the basic facts around the plot and the characters and the themes and the context and, and the key quotes and so on. But then over time, you're going to want them to have to do something with it and to apply that knowledge. And that's something that you can model in class. Uh, but also you then need to take that to something that they can do at home increasingly. Um, it's no good giving them essay questions when they've not got this basic um, fundamental knowledge. So that's something that you can just gradually build up to yeah. over time, really. Um, so Because otherwise that's... they're going to lack in confidence, aren't they, if they've got a, an essay question and this is, I don't know what to write. You can understand why they wouldn't know what to write. Absolutely. And one of the other things that, that I always say, and, and again, some people disagree with it, this, but I, I think that when it comes to revision, and I was talking earlier about reframing the concept of revision, yeah. And what pupils do when they feel comfortable um, they often revise stuff that they already know or that they're already confident with because that feels good as a, as a human being it's natural to, to want to revert to our comfort yeah um, but i think that their revision and part of our work as teachers is to try to get them to focus on the stuff that they're not good at um, and the things that they're really scared of so i often will say to them uh, you know what poem are you most terrified of cropping up? Or ah, of, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, go on. Think of your worst case scenario for a character question, or how would you feel if if the question came up about setting in this play? Things like yeah. that, and, and, and plan for the worst case scenario, and then you can keep on going back to the stuff that you you feel a bit more confident with. Keep on revisiting that, and, and that's one way to really build up confidence. And I say, okay, we we've done, we've practiced for the worst possible things I can think of. Yeah. If you can cope, if you can cope with those, you can cope with anything. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's really good. And speaking of the word coping, um, yeah. you talk about coping strategies for exams in your book. So, you know, is there anything that you find works really well for that? I mean, obviously. The book you talk about, I just wondered as a, an assistant head teacher and other subjects and exams yeah. in general that you have to deal with, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's all the obvious stuff about you know, exercise and sleep and, 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 and those kind of things. But for me, the thing that we can have most um, influence over as, as teachers is really helping to sustain their motivation. And I think oh, the, lang yeah. Yeah, the language that we use is really powerful for that. Um, and, and when it comes down to, to things like when we give general advice, uh, you need to work on, on that paper one or something like that, you didn't do very well in your mock exam. Uh, it's too vague. We need to be specific about if you work precisely on these things, then you will improve. And, and also reminding them how far they've come. One of my particular favorite um, techniques is, is getting out their exercise book and, and say, so, okay, we're now in January. Um, 
you're, you're, <laughs> you're saying you're not doing very well at these paragraphs. Let's have a look what they look like when you started doing them in September. Can you see how far you've come? We've still got another few months. Just imagine how good you're going to be if you keep on working on my feedback by the time we get to the exam. Things like that. I've, I've yeah, that's a really good yeah, idea because yeah, it's something yeah. you can actually see. It's tangible, isn't it? And you can see the progression yourself then, can't it, you? It is. And crucially, it's about competing with your previous self. And, and right. one of the things that, that, that students want to do is they want to measure themselves against others. That it, and, and it's not good. It's not healthy. Most yes, of the time. I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, it's much healthier to say, OK, I, I want to beat myself rather than I want to get a, a particular grade. So take all talk of, of grades out of there, if, if at all possible. Just focus on them getting better at the subject. Um, I think that's really good advice I think that's really good advice yeah to think about competing with yourself I've not thought of that before in that way yeah that's really good I think in my experience it's something that that everyone can be motivated by and no one Mm. can be pulled pulled down by yeah no that's really interesting yeah so I mean well it's a great little book and I say little because it is quite small as well which is good yeah it's a tiny what is it like a hundred pages yeah and yeah. it's only it's, it's like a pocket not a pocket but it's a little small little manual or a handbook you might call it. I don't know what you yeah, call it but it's, it's, it's useful it's, isn't it that it's size des- it's designed to be able to slip into a blazer pocket for a student um, ah, what's been, is that what yeah. it is what's right. been very interesting though is that it's aimed at students students and it's it's written in um, pupil friendly language yeah. uh, but actually lots of teachers have been getting their hands on a copy as well because yes. they, they found it useful as a teaching aid too I was, so yeah I was so, going to say I've seen yeah. that on Twitter some people yeah are buying books for their you know you could recommend your students to buy it but actually some some people have been buying it for their members in their department haven't they that sort of thing they have and even more excitingly some some teams have been buying it for their entire year 11 cohort and ah, so on. that's uh, good so yeah, yeah that, so that's that's been something where they've seen particularly in this year where we, we we've got a potential, a potential kind of catch-up situation uh, that it might be be helpful to, for the whole year group to have no, but I honestly, I honestly think that when I, like I say, when I saw it, I was really impressed. I thought, oh, that's what we've been waiting for. I don't know why we didn't think of that before. Damn, I wish I'd thought of that. But <laughs> yeah, well, it's a really good idea and I think it's really good. Thank so, you. you know, moving away from that, um, that revision book to yeah. your other book, actually, I think, have you only, as far as I know, you've written two books. The first one was Boys Don't Try yes. Rethinking Masculinity, which you co-wrote with Matt Pinkett. Yeah. And if we're thinking about classrooms and what goes on in them, I think we should just turn to that for a minute because it okay. does make you as a teacher reflect on your own interactions and practice with boys in the classroom. Mm. I mean, just to tell you a little, ba- little anecdote of my own here. I taught in a challenging school during my first couple of years as a teacher. And in my NQT year, I remember that, you know, it was very, very busy. I think a couple of people were off sick, might have been my mentor, I forget now. But I needed a lesson observation form completed by the end of, you know, this week for my folder. And there was nobody to do it. So I thought, oh, I need to get someone to do it. And it doesn't matter whether they, if they don't know the class, they don't know me. Actually, that's quite a good thing. So I thought that would be interesting to get that feedback. <laughs> yeah. So I went straight in the deep end. And there was someone who was working there who was moving around the country. And she was on supply at our school for only for a few weeks. So I asked her to do it. So she came in the classroom and it was a year nine, almost all boys, low set, which mm-hmm. doesn't help the boys or me, as it was very difficult for everyone to f- stay focused. Yeah. And um, 
actually that was a class that Ofsted came to see but that's another story and it went well in the end but yeah but they were my year nine class bless them mm. and we were preparing for the SATs so that shows you how long ago it was oh, God, yeah. and yeah and she observed the lesson and just to add to the mix it was period five on a Thursday so great mm. anyway afterwards we discussed the lesson and she said to me I've made a note of how many times that I had t- that she'd made a note of how many times I told someone off as it were mm. told someone off and she hadn't seen me use any praise at all in the lesson and I didn't even realize I was doing that Mm. I suppose it was like because I was a mum as well it was like oh Johnny don't do that or stop that or whatever you know and the lesson went on it was fine but I was shocked when she said that there was all this negativity which links back to what you were saying about the language used in lessons and it made me really realize and reflect on my and this was in my NQT year so I completely changed it after that made me really reflect on my teaching of classes like that and I must say Praise and humour, as you say in your book, being a warm person mm-hmm. with the class, thinking that you actually care about them. And it, it makes such a huge difference, doesn't it? And that was a big turning point for me. Yeah, yeah, it does. And the chapter specifically where I talk about relationships is, is chapter nine. And and, yeah. and one, one of the things that's absolutely key in that is that pupils are not motivated, particularly boys, are not motivated to improve their behaviour after being told off publicly. Definitely, uh, I realised uh, that then, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the way that you, so some people might say, well, what, what are you going to do if it's difficult? And, and instead using, uh, you know, non-verbal strategies wherever possible. Yeah. Or if you do have to give out, when you do have to give out those, um, those warnings and so on, doing it in a way that's really taking away the audience as much yeah, as possible definitely. is absolutely key. What's interesting though, you, you mentioned about the, the advice about praise, um, but the, the research uh, about boys suggests that they're not keen on public praise either. Uh, and when you think <laughs> about the, the idea of peer pressure, um, of and, course, and yeah. for, some, for some boys not wanting to be seen to, to do well and work hard in front of their peers, yeah. um, if you try and do private praise as well, uh, as well as private tellings off that tends to be a lot more effective in my experience and according to the research oh that's interesting yeah because I know that if I've had a small group of I've sometimes had before of a left teacher and I used to have a small group of boys maybe they'd only be 10 in the class or eight yeah. or something like that sometimes you know those sort of classes yeah. and they did actually quite respond well to pr- praise it depends on the situation of the class doesn't it, it depends on the personalities as well but yeah. as well but I, I think that's a really good point you make though I didn't actually know that was the thing now that they say that it's not always going to go down well but I can see why because yeah, of peer no, pressure etc you're right I mean you, and you can take one one pupil you can take one boy and, and put him in one group and he will hate the praise because his mates are in there you can put him somewhere else uh, you know maybe moving up to a top set or something like that and then he might be fine with it because it's, yeah. it's, it's okay. It's an environment where excelling is okay and, and he doesn't have to try to play the fool in front of, um, of his mates and so on. So you're right, it can be a different context, but often one of the things we've been told in the past is with boys, you've got to praise them and you've got to give them, shower them with praise and it, it really can be <laughs> counterproductive. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Um, and the other thing I was going to ask you about was the idea of toxic, I mean, we have heard this phrase in the yeah. past, you know, quite a lot, toxic masculinity and it being reframed as non-tender masculinity. I thought that was yeah. a really, really good concept and a good idea and, you know, makes a lot of sense did you want to just explore that a little bit in terms of um how it's presented in in the book and what it actually means yeah it was really inspired by by something that matt had had, um, read and he ended up writing about it um whereby if you label something as toxic uh, the masculinity in this case and and by any kind of objective stance you look at some of these kind of behaviors sexual harassment and, and 
uh, and this kind of self-destructive damaging behavior and you say yeah it's toxic but then once you label it that way are you kind of giving this subliminal message to boys that something about being male can be toxic that they're a problem that there's some kind of crisis with being that and i think sometimes we, mm. we come to the conclusion that that could be something that could be internalized and could exacerbate the issues where yeah. boys felt as if they they, they weren't going to fit in society they weren't going to succeed so we tried to reframe it in a more positive way where we, we were looking at tender masculinity is something that, that is kind of being kind and gentle and, and caring and and considerate and, and saying okay we'll, we'll call it non-tender and, and, and try and flip it that way and, and say that this is the opposite to what we want you to do we want you to to aim for tenderness but we're not going to label you as something that's kind of like a poison and it's interesting it's an interesting debate and lots of people have, have kind of put up very convincing arguments why we should just call it toxic masculinity mm-hmm. um so something that uh i can see both sides of it but we wanted to try to to see boys to to, to kind of focus on the positive rather than the negative and at the end of the day, it does show, doesn't it? Because we've mentioned this now, I think, without even thinking about it. We've mentioned about the language we use in yeah. classrooms, in schools. So it just yeah. shows you that the, the the language we use is actually so, so important, isn't it? And it's it can have so much of an impact that we definitely have to, you know, think about and reflect on the, what we're saying and the things we say. Don't we? I mean, we had on um, episode two, we had James Adu, who's got um, a company called Innerscope, and they go into schools and work with young people. And his is, you know, a big thing is about the language you, you use with students and how it can, yeah. you know, help them progress, etc. It's it's really, really key, isn't it? And I think it's that comes up a lot with you today as well. It's, it's, it's massive. I mean, if you if you hear teachers using phrases like uh, drama queen or it's a boy <laughs> it's a boy heavy class or they need to man uh, up or th- these kind of things that can be really destructive yeah um I, I, I know that sometimes teachers think that they're, they're kind of innocent little throwaway labels like when they, they call a boy a class clown uh, but there's research out there that shows it can have really destructive impact over the long run um so we, we need to think very carefully about the language we use i know that teaching can be stressful and we can all do and say things that uh you know we might regret at times yeah well uh, maybe think, period five on a friday if you've had a yeah. bad week yeah we all yeah. know what it's like but you, you're right you have to be as the adult in the room you have to be more conscious of that don't you yeah and i think we we, we have to model the behavior that we want to see from them yeah um, that's definitely I, another thing isn't it yeah you get it's like showing respect and you get respect back that kind of thing isn't it Being... yeah that, that p- polite insistence is I think the, the phrase I use in, in the book and, and, <laughs> and that's that's something that I think is, is, is key that we, we can do it that way yeah the other thing I was going to ask you about was well what I thought was interesting and what as well was that you do turn the traditional ideas on their head now when I say that I mean you know from my life as a teacher um you know there was the whole thing about boys like the competition or try to get them on something technology if we can go up to a computer room today and work or relevant (laughs) topics to engage but to engage boys and let's face it because you know we've had we keep having to have these debates about how boys and may not be um performing as well as girls and it keeps coming back doesn't it so even you know the exams the sats etc they often used to have a subject that they know the boys would like and we'd engage the boys and the girls would just go along with it so all that that sort of thing about competition etc etc in the classroom you've kind of declared it as a myth in your book now and I can exactly see where you're coming from and I agree with you but do you want to just um explore that a little bit or explain a bit of that to the listeners about that 
Yeah, I think that, that all of those kind of things are, are, are things that seem to be common sense approaches. We, we just assume that these are the things that will make boys work. Uh, and if boys are switched off, some boys, you know, we, we're generalizing. Yeah, exactly. Course, we are generalizing. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but the, the kind of boys who, who are switched off, if we say, OK, um, let's let's make things a bit easier for them or let's make it a bit more fun or make, let's make it relevant to their lives. So let's let's bring in some competitive elements or let's get them moving Football. around the classroom yeah. and yeah, use it using their hands and that kind of stuff. All that it does, I mean, the, the research shows that it doesn't work because it lowers expectations of what they can achieve. It narrows the curriculum down for them uh, and, and they respond to challenge rather than responding to things being simplified. If yeah. you say, you know, this is the, the minimum that I expect from you uh, and, and it's quite a low expectation, um, those kind of boys will, will just sink to that low expectation. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are challenging them and stimulating them and giving them things that are out of their areas of, of, of knowledge and interest, you're opening up a new world to them. Uh, and, and often the, the things like competition that we use, the research shows that it, it damages the ones that we're most trying to inspire to do well, the underperforming ones. Yeah. They'll, quick, they'll quickly work out that they're not going to win and, and they'll, they'll stop playing the game. And, and that's why we have to step away from these things they're, they're all well intentioned uh, you know people yeah, didn't course, do these yeah, to kind of yeah. to, to, to drag, drag boys down but they have been really um insidious really in in, in i think keeping boys um academic performance down for for a generation or so now and i think it's absolutely vital that we, we get away from them and we debunk the, those myths as soon as possible no, I, I think you're right. And I really found that chapter in the book interesting as well. And it definitely makes you reflect on your own practice. You know, if you're a teacher or even if you're, you know, of your whole class with the boys in general, everything like that. I mean, we could I could talk to you for ages about this because it's so interesting and I'm sure the listeners will find it interesting. But we are going to wrap it up in a minute. I mean, I think this is probably a good place to end. Uh, like I say, I'm yeah. sure the listeners will find it useful. and There's lots of things for them to think about not just for the coming term, but in general. So thanks for being a guest. And if listeners want to contact you or follow you on Twitter, what's your handle again, Mark? I think handle is the right yeah. terminology for it. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. I'm, I'm at Mr. Underscore English Teach. And it's Mr. MR, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is, yeah. That's uh, it. And, yeah, and in terms of the books we've been talking about, um, You Can't Revise for GCS English, Yes, You Can, is the, the first book. And then the second book is Boys Don't Try Rethinking Masculinity in Schools. That's it. Yeah. OK, well, I'm just going to end by wishing you and all the listeners a smooth start to the new term wherever you are. And thank you again for joining me and uh, good luck. And it's goodbye from me and the full English until the next time. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.